1964, the world's met Harriet M. Welsh. If the name's not ringing a bell, it's probably because you're more familiar with her as Harriet the Spy. Written and illustrated by Louise Fitzhugh, the book has largely been embraced as a classic in the more than 50 years since its original publication, and it inspired a 1996 Nickelodeon film that brought Harriet's world to a brand new audience. The basic plot goes a little something like this. 11-year-old Harriet lives in 1960s New York with her parents, a cook, and a tough but lovable nanny who she calls Old Golly. Her best friends are Sport and Janie, and her worst enemies are the girls at school who she's already convinced will grow up to do little more than play cards at the country club. Harriet is a bit of an outsider, and she spends most of her time writing observations in her black and white notebook. She follows a neighborhood spy route, which gives her lots of material for notes, but she also has plenty to say about her classmates, even the ones she seems to like. Harriet the Spy, the book, not the person, explores what happens when her sixth grade classmates find the notebook containing all of those dirty secret thoughts about them. Spoiler alert, it's not great, and it ends with something called the Spy Catcher Club. All of this happens just as Harriet's trusted confidant, Old Golly, stops working for her family, making an already bad situation even worse. Diving into all of this with me is Brittany Lynn, a PR and online marketing strategist for online entrepreneurs worldwide. She has nearly 10 years of experience working in the online marketing industry and is passionate about helping others grow their reach, revenue, and impact through strategic PR. Brittany is also the host of the Day in the Life podcast, which gives a glimpse into the daily lives of people from across the world who work in a variety of industries. Brittany is based in Dallas, Texas with her husband and super cute pup, and she's been a great friend and inspiration to me since we connected through social media last year. Check her out on Instagram at Brittany L. Lynn and give her podcast a listen to. It's great. Brittany and I had quite the conversation about Harriet the Spy, and I couldn't be more excited to share it with you in episode one of the SSR podcast. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is shit she read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Brittany. Thank you so much for joining us on SSR. I am so excited. I cannot wait to talk about this book with you. This is so weird because Brittany is sort of my podcasting spirit guide, and I'm feeling a lot of pressure to do a good job with her on the other end of the interview. Oh my gosh. Oh, please. You're too kind. Too kind. Let's just start because I know you and I have a lot to say about this book. We're talking about Harriet the Spy. It's a 1964 novel by Louise Fitzhugh. And I don't even know where to begin. So I'm just going to jump in and get Brittany's thoughts on why she chose this book to begin with. Brittany, did you read this book as a kid? Did you want to revisit it? Was this new to you? Tell me everything. So whenever you sent the link, there was like four, here's like a little behind the scenes. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to share this. There's like four books I could pick from. And then this was one of them, obviously. And like immediately I was like, oh, I'm picking Harriet the Spy. I had, I did like the Cardinal Sin when I was a kid and I watched the movie first and then I read the book. I will be honest and we're, this is probably going to be the entire episode. I did not remember it being like this. Like I was shocked at times, horrified reading this book <laughs> as an adult. I just could, I could not believe like the entirety of the book and that like this was so popular. Yeah. 
I totally agree. So I do have to jump in with kind of a personal story, which I think I mentioned to you when you first picked Harriet this by. I think I mentioned that I had this unique personal connection and I have been waiting to tell you. I hope you've been on the edge of your seat. I have. So my tie to this book is actually more to the movie, but it's sort of colored like my whole view of Harriet the Spy as a brand. So the movie adaptation of this book came out in 1995. It was a Nickelodeon film, which is a very important part of this story. Oh, yes. And Michelle Trachtenberg was the, yes. the star, was she was Harriet. Yep. Rosie O'Donnell was Old Golly, who is the nanny figure in the book. Yes. And I was five or six years old, and my dad took me to see it. And one of my clearest childhood memories is of my dad, who is, like, not normally super, like, reactive. He's a pretty calm guy. Like, pulled me out of the theater probably less than 30 minutes after the movie started. And I'm sure in my head it's a much more dramatic thing than it really was. But I just remember it being this huge deal that we, like, walked out of the theater and my dad went on to write a letter to Nickelodeon saying he'd been so upset by the content of this movie that his daughter would never watch Nickelodeon ever again. Oh my gosh, he wrote a letter to Nickelodeon? He wrote a letter to Nickelodeon. And so I, as a kid, never watched Nickelodeon, which as a kid of the 90s, like that was kind of a thing. Oh my gosh, my mind is blown. Guys, I did not know this before we started recording. So I'm just like, I'm I'm taking it. I can't believe it. Yeah, well, reading shocked. the book and uh-huh. like knowing like what happens in the story and all that, like obviously I can understand his point of view, right. but that's extreme. Well, and I was such a goody two shoes that even when I was at a friend's house, like if Nickelodeon was playing, I'd be like, I'm sorry, I can't watch it. Oh yeah. My gosh. Yeah. So that's wild. Yeah. So that's my tie to it. And I've spent the better part of the last 20 years, like kind of wondering why my dad didn't let me watch Harriet the Spy and why we had to leave the movie theater and why it like altered the course of my media consumption for my entire childhood. And now I know because I've reread the book and I'm like, dad, you were so right. I can't remember reading the book and maybe it's because I just have this like intense memory of the movie, but I get it now. And so I think that's a great way to start talking about really all the things that upset us in Harriet the Spy. And I say that because we've done a little chatting before. And so, you know what? I'm just going to let you jump in. Tell me your first impression of Harriet the Spy on this reread as an adult. Okay, so... I'm going to have to contain myself because there's just so much that we could go on and on about of my, my beef with this book. And I had even messaged Allie before um, we started recording. And I was like, I don't know how much positive, how, how many positive accolades I could pull from, from this book. But let's talk about the bad. I guess the whole book is really focused on kids bullying other kids. And I really felt like there was no redeeming character in the book. I think the closest one would have been Olgali, her her nanny, but she kind of pieced out like after like a fourth of the way into the book. Like she wasn't really a part of the picture anymore. So besides her, I, I didn't like any other character. Like there was no character that was like, oh, they're a good person or like they're trying to do you know, the best in the world. And even how it ended, I felt like in the movie, so wait, 
Had you never watched the end of the movie? Like, I, have, ever? I have never seen beyond probably like 28 minutes into the movie. Oh my gosh. You need, you need to like, I feel like, I feel like you must now. I don't know. I, I don't know. I told you I was a goody two shoes. I think it might be too late for me to enjoy it's it. Just, it's just, it's too, too past. It's over. I felt like in the movie and I guess I'll have to rewatch, but I felt like in the movie, they made Harriet a little bit more redeeming. Like she apologized for how she acted and she became friends again. And I feel like in the book, like she kind of made up with her friends, but like, I feel like she never really apologized. Like she never took ownership of how she was wrong and what she did. And that's why it was so hard for me to to find any like positive qualities about the book because it was like, there's no one that resonates with me. It's hard to like a book when everybody is unlikable as a character. <laughs> I agree with you. And I think Olgali is an interesting character. So about halfway through the book, Olgali gets married and is mm-hmm. fired because she takes Harriet sort of on a date with her and her fiance and, and Harriet's parents are upset about that and they fire old golly, but she was going to leave anyway. So that right, So did sense. they really fire her? Because then like the wife was like, Oh no, wait, you can't leave. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you're just fine. Her like what? Well, the parents are such an interesting study in and of themselves. And I think as somebody who like lives in New York, the one thing I kept thinking about this book was that in a lot of ways, I just wonder how much Harriet is like a product of her environment a little bit. Like she lives in this like really gritty city. It is a different time in the 60s that I can't really understand. Her parents are kind of like the stereotypical New York City parents and that they're absent. She sort of has to ask them for permission to eat dinner with them. She has a nanny. She has a cook. Her mom is completely disconnected from her life. So I I think there are a lot of things working against her. It doesn't really excuse the fact that like almost all of the characters in this book are terrible. So I think that's where it gets tricky because I think it's one thing to have a main character who's like complex and flawed. Mm -hmm. But the fact is that everybody in this book was mean. Like there really wasn't anyone, even old golly who is supposed to be the moral compass and, and gives Harriet a lot of advice, some of which is really good in the end, basically advises Harriet to lie to get out of a a nasty situation. So after Harriet's notebook, which is essentially filled with nasty bullying messages about her classmates, old golly sends her a letter she gets this letter from Old Golly after Old Golly finds out that she's been discovered to be this nasty kid. Mm-hmm. And Old Golly says, Naturally, you put down the truth in your notebooks. What would be the point if you didn't? And naturally, those notebooks should not be read by anyone else. So, first of all, to me, that's sort of Old Golly like endorsing Harriet writing nasty things. And then she right. says, You're not going to like these two options, but one, you either have to apologize. Or two, you have to lie. So we have this person who's been the moral compass the whole book. I missed her when she left. I really felt Harriet's pain when she was left alone. And and now she's coming in with, with this crappy advice. Like, what am I supposed to do with that as a kid? No, I totally agree. And, like, I, I felt like, and again, maybe the movie, like, lessened the comments that she wrote in her book. I can't, I can't really remember. But, like, what she wrote about people... I, I, that's when I was horrified. Like I was shocked that this was like a kid's book an encouraged kid's book, a very popular kid's book. And the main character is writing all these horrible, horrible comments about people, about their appearances, about their, you know, family situations, just being very mean and cruel. You know, I feel like there's a point to Ogali saying, you know, like, 
these words are for you. Like no one else should see these words. You know, that's kind of like having like a journal of like, you know, you write things down and it's really for you and it's not meant to be consumed by other people, but it's not like Harriet was writing out her feelings on things or about her, her experiences and the situations that she was in. She was just writing mean things about people. Like, there's a difference. And that's why I felt so conflicted. There is a difference. Um, would you like me to read some highlights from her notebook? Because I have them right here. Yes, please, please do. We'll do a little dramatic reading. I, I want to get your immediate reactions to them. So I'm going to read a line and I just want you to do like word association. Tell me what you think. Ready? Okay. Okay. First, this is this was the one that really got me from a few pages in. I think I would like to write a story about Mrs. Golly getting run over by a truck, except she's so fat, I wonder what would happen to the truck. Oh my gosh, this is like literally the exact one that I first read and I was like, what? I mean, just the, the word is just unbelievable. Like, I can't believe like a kid would be reading this book and parents would be influencing kids to read a book like this. I'm just shocked. I feel really icky even saying this one. Okay. But I think I have to. Okay. If Marion Hawthorne doesn't watch out, she's going to grow up into a lady Hitler. I get, okay, I understand that the time was different. This was in the 60s. We're in 2018 right now. That's just, like, not appropriate at all, especially in a children's book. Right. Well, and this was the 60s, which makes it 50 years closer to— Right. right. It, it makes it worse. It's worse. Than if it was written now, it still would be bad now, but— I just, I can't believe this author, like, got away with this. Here, let's do one more. This is my okay. uh, my last one. Ready? Pinky Whitehead is the most disgusting thing I ever saw. What must his mother have thought the first time she looked at him? She must have thrown up. Like, were they trying to make Harriet, like, ha- you know, have some sort of, like, relational, like, problems or, you know, mental issues of any sort? Because at one point in the book, they they had her see someone, Right. They yeah, do. Yeah. yeah, she does go to a psychiatrist, and I actually thought that this was a huge missed opportunity. So basically, Harriet's discovered to be this really nasty, quote-unquote, spy. The kids find her notebook. It kind of blows out of proportion. Her parents find out she's missing school, all of these things, and her parents decide to take her to a psychiatrist. I thought, like, here's the redeeming moment. Yes, gonna, I thought that, that was it. Yeah, I was like, this is great and so progressive for a book in the 60s to be exposing totally. kids to a psychiatrist. This is awesome. And then there really wasn't a lot to that scene. Like, she just kind of sits oh. there. They play a game. The psychiatrist is like, oh, I'll write in a notebook, too, and we can write in the notebook together, and won't that be fun? But I thought it was it was such a missed opportunity, and I guess I appreciate the effort to, like, even open that can of worms, but... A, it, do, it doesn't really do anything to give kids a better understanding of what it right. means to go talk to somebody. And clearly there was something more that the psychiatrist should have been talking to Harriet about, even if it wasn't something that was her fault. I mean, cl- there was a lot going on in Harriet's life, and it would have been refreshing to see the psychiatrist really try to, like, break down what was going on with her parents and what had right. happened when old Golly left and all of those things. And that was just such a missed opportunity. I wonder if at that time it was such a taboo topic that like it was just basically unheard of to even write it in a book, even though it's obviously a fiction book. I wonder if just because it was written in the 60s and, you know, people weren't as open about, you know, those having, you know, mental issues or not even just having mental issues, but just like going to see a professional and to talk to them about problems that you're having. It just wasn't as common then. So I wonder if that's why she like dipped her toe in it, but like didn't fully commit then ran away yeah but it was it did feel it felt a little empty like I was just kind of like what was the point 
if you're not going to go all the way there and see it all the way through with a psychiatrist, like what's the point of going? Yeah, it was kind of a wasted scene. There were a few of those. I think this book could have been a lot shorter. Mm-hmm. Not only because a lot of it made me uncomfortable, but because there was a lot of kind of dead time. She really spends the first half of the book essentially like stalking people in the neighborhood and making notes about them. And all of that content that she collects ends up being mostly inconsequential. Like we don't really find out what happens with a lot of those families. It doesn't right. really matter. Um, it comes into play a little bit at the end because she creepily prints some of it in the school paper, which is inappropriate in a million other ways. Oh my gosh, yeah. we must talk about that too. We have because... to talk about the school paper, which is another part of the ending that was so wrong and I hated it. No, I agree. I hate it. So basically what happens is that Harriet had always dreamed of becoming the editor of the sixth grade paper. Her sort of nemesis, Marion Hawthorne, had been appointed to that role. And then at the end of this book, after all of these terrible things happen, Harriet's parents call the school and the school decides to make an exception and to replace Marion Hawthorne with Harriet because she's such a good writer. And she sort of like handed this opportunity and gets everything she wants at the end. Right. That's why I was so confused because... That's not how the real world works. Yeah, it's it's a terrible lesson. Be a terrible bratty kid. Skip a lot of school. Don't take like don't own up to your actions and then you'll get what you want. Like, what does that teach kids? How is that a good lesson for kids? It's so terrible. And then she goes on to use the paper to share some of these like dirty secrets about different families in the neighborhood that she's collected in her time as a spy. The one thing that I think the author probably wanted to serve as some sort of a redemption for her was a retraction that she prints in the paper. And I think we need to talk about this. I certainly think that it's insignificant and not enough to make any of what she's done okay. But essentially, Mm -hmm. Harriet learns what a retraction is. And in the last few pages of the book, she prints a statement in the paper that says, this page wishes to retract certain statements printed in a certain notebook by the editor of the sixth grade page, which were unfair statements and besides were lies. Anyone who saw these statements is hereby notified that they were lies and that a general apology is offered by the editor of the sixth grade page. It just sounds like a copy and paste what a lawyer would tell you mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. And she's and 11. Like, there's there needs to be more to it. She She's really unfeeling. Yeah, there's no emotion in it. Like, you can tell she doesn't really want to apologize. She's just doing this because she's told to. So I think we both agree that the, the retraction isn't enough. <laughs> I was also confused by, I guess the word I could use for this whole book was just confused. Because mm-hmm. I've said that several times. I didn't understand how the whole situation of people finding the notebook and reading all the horrible things and, you know, that's Harriet's downfall. But then at the end, it becomes the thing that brings her back up because she gets to basically print whatever she has in her journal, rewrite it, edit it a little bit, and then put it in the school paper. I don't understand how that's a lesson, a good lesson for kids. Like, what are people supposed to learn from that? That's a really interesting point that the same thing that brought her down ultimately is why people celebrate her. I hadn't thought about it that way, but that's really interesting and I think very true. Something that I did find while I was researching the book in a review of it is that there were critics that felt like the fact that Harriet didn't have some big transformational moment and essentially like stayed the same through the end of the book. There were critics that felt like that was a good thing and sort of a realistic picture of how kids and humans behave. Their argument is that 
she stays the same as a person and old golly tries to teach her to handle things more tactfully. I'm not saying that she succeeded in that, of course, but sure. This is the argument. She's sort of learning that like people don't necessarily change, but as you grow up, you do need to adjust your behaviors to be better and to show people a little bit more respect. And I think there is something to that argument. Like I get that. I just don't know that it was executed in a convincing way here. I definitely respect that opinion. My thoughts on it are that's a lot easier to implement in a book that's focused on adults. I don't think we as a society should encourage kids to be mean to each other. Mm-hmm. If one day, you know, me and my husband were lucky enough to have kids, we don't have kids right now. If we have kids, if they're being this mean, if they're writing these horrible things, I want them to change <laughs> like significantly. I don't want them to do things like that. So I get their point where it's like a little bit more realistic of like people just, it's not like a fairy tale, you know, just like, you know, automatically change and everything is perfect and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think I was expecting that of this book, but I didn't feel like there was enough growth of her character and her as a person to be satisfied with the end of the book. I would have to agree with you. And there were a lot of people out there that did. There were critics that loved it. It's obviously been a very popular book. It's been named to a lot of lists of like best kids books of all time in 2012 school and library journal ranked at number 17 among all time children's novels, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's been on a lot of similar roundups, but there are a lot of schools that have banned it and libraries that don't allow it either because of the bullying issue and because of this cruelty issue that we've been talking about. Yeah. And I feel like, especially nowadays, this book that would not cut it. If this was like a new book, this was coming out in 2018, like people would not be a fan. Yeah, I don't think it would make it out of an editor's stack in, in 2018. No. There's too many like, problems. Like you, don't, you don't even think it would be written? No. I mean, I think any... Oh, I hate saying stuff like this. It makes me feel so bad. But I think that a lot of editors would be, like, concerned by a manuscript sure. like this because it's so dark. Oh, and for sure. It's, it's upsetting. There's a lot of really intense stuff in this book. Harriet at one point writes in her notebook that like when she wakes up, she hopes she's dead. Something that I found really problematic that was kind of a thread throughout the book was Harriet's best friend, Janie, wants to be a scientist, which is really cool. Like that in itself is great. And I think especially now there's so much talk about women in STEM and... In 1964, that was probably a big deal to have a main character of a book who talks openly about how her friend like goes and and sits in her lab and and makes different concoctions at night. But Janie also mentions several times throughout the book that she like wants to blow the school up and blow people up. And that in this time when we're dealing with so many school shootings and so much violence among kids, that in itself would be enough, I think, you know, for for an editor to at least need to make major changes to the book, if not tell the author, like, I can't deal with this. Yeah. That, yeah. I totally forgot about that part, but she does mention it several times. And again, I know we're living in a totally different time now in 2018 than when this book was written. Still trying to picture myself as a parent in 1964. Like, I just can't, imagine me being okay with my kid reading this book and and encouraging children to read it. I mean, now I'm like, I'm totally with your dad. Like, yeah, no wonder he like took you out of the movie. Like it's horrible. And again, I really want to rewatch the movie because I feel like they toned it down 
a lot, Mm -hmm. but still, I mean, it was about like, she was probably writing mean things for her to get found out by all the kids and you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I do want to dive in a little bit more to this concept of Harriet being a product of her time, because I think with a lot of these books that I've been reading and talking about for the podcast, obviously it's really easy for us in 2018 to analyze things a certain way. And I, I, I'm not saying we're wrong because these are all really valid points. The bottom line is that these books are still on the shelf. And so regardless of when they were written, like kids are still having access to them. Kids can read this book and, and read lines about somebody wanting to blow up a school. And that's a problem. Bottom line. But I do think it's worthwhile to like think about Harriet's environment, where she's living, what her house is like, the time period and like what was expected of her because it does force us to think a little bit differently about like the context of it. So for me, what's really interesting is her parents. And I mentioned this briefly, but what are your thoughts on her parents? I think especially in the 60s, working moms were not as much of a thing. So it's interesting to me that her mom is never around. Uh, Mm -hmm. Her parents are always at parties. We don't really seem to know that much about what else they do. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's supposed to be an implication that like, all of these kids in New York are operating without parents and maybe that's part of why things are like awry. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Anytime her, the parents are, her parents are mentioned, you know, they're either out at a party and that's why the whole situation with Ogali happens is because she's watching them because they're out at a party or they're eating dinner and the dad doesn't really seem he he's there physically, but he doesn't really seem there mentally anytime he's in a scene. He just doesn't. He's just like, eh, just like things just go in one ear and out the other type person. That's how I perceived him, at least. There were moments that I felt like the author tried to give a little bit more redeeming qualities to the mom of like she was trying to have a conversation with Harriet and ask her what's going on, what's wrong, kind of insinuating like how can I help you feel better but it still didn't feel very loving it didn't it didn't feel as genuine as maybe it was supposed to be um or maybe it wasn't supposed to be and then you know we get to we get a little bit of a picture of her friend's parents what's her guy friend's name I can't sport who I I think sport was probably my favorite character in the book yes yes and so they talk a little bit about his dad and he's a writer but they kind of put him in the silo of you know oh he's just like a crazy writer type and like sport has to take care of him and like cook all the food and make sure he's taken care of and you know all that kind of stuff so yeah it kind of felt like they played a little bit to stereotypes of, yeah. you know, 1960 parents. Again, I wasn't yeah. born and I wasn't alive in 1960. So I'm, I'm doing some guessing and just, you know, of education of like what I know about that time period, but it didn't paint the parents in the best light. No. And Janie's mom is, um, she's there very briefly And I felt like there was sort of an implication of a little bit of abuse going on in that household. She like slaps Janie really hard and is making Mm -hmm. fun of her a little bit. So I, again, maybe reading too much into it, but as somebody who writes and and who's done a lot of reading about writing, most writers like don't put in little clues like that unless there's supposed to be something behind it. You're supposed to read into them. Right. There was obviously something weird going on with Janie's mom. Um, There's another character, Rachel, whose whose dad is not around and Harriet makes fun of her for that which is so gross on so many levels but there is generally this pattern of parents either being 
like shitty or just not even being around. And I don't know if that's supposed to mean anything. I do wonder if it feeds into this sense of like chaos with the kids. Like the kids are just kind of out doing their own thing. One thing I really liked about that part of it and something that I probably loved as a kid was this idea that they all saw themselves as having different jobs. Mm -hmm. Um, Like they kind of had this own little society. Harriet really took her job as a spy very seriously. Janie would say things like, you know, I need to go home and work in my lab. Sport was running his dad's house. Um, I did like laugh out loud when Harriet made one note where she was talking about the other kids at school and she said, I'm going to write a story about these people. They are just rats. Half of them don't even have a profession. I'm like, <laughs> like that's really funny. And I, I yeah. think as a kid, stuff like that really appeals to you because it's like you get to live your, you kind of are living a little bit of an adult life. The parents aren't around. You're doing your thing. So I think the parent dynamic was really weird. But there were parts of it that lent itself to like almost this fantasy world where the kids are minding their own business and and creating their own little like society without grownups. Right. And it's just it's an interesting comparison. Say this situation happened now. Parents would be super involved. The kids finding the notebook, they would go home and tell their parents and their parents there would be like a petition at the school to get her kicked out. Like it would be a whole debacle. Especially like these kids have money. Like these are rich white kids in New York city and (laughs) that would not fly. She, you're right. She would have been kicked out yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. She wasn't, she wasn't even like sent home. Like because she was expelled from school. Like she just stayed home from school because she didn't feel like going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, It's really interesting. Something else interesting to note about like context and and the timing of all this, and I read this in my research, is that when this book came out, the only other like girl detective who was on the bookshelves was Nancy Drew. Mm. And Nancy Drew, who we're going to cover on this show in a few weeks, that book came out in the 30s. And Nancy Drew was a very different character than Harriet. And I'm not sure if you read Nancy Drew as a kid, but... She wore sweater sets and pearls, and she drives around in her dad's convertible. And I read a quote in an article on NPR that said that the gulf between Harriet and Nancy shows us how children's books and children were changing in the 1960s, which I think is interesting to think about. Right. Like, there's just, like, a different... And you said it was in the 30s? Yeah, Nancy, the Nancy came out that in Nancy the 30s. Drew came out? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like that's what you were expected to do and to look like as a woman, as a girl. You're supposed to be put all together. Then by the time 60s rolls around, it's like, no, you can be independent. Like, you can do whatever you want. Girls can, you know, you can be mean, like all this kind of stuff. Yeah, it's just, it's it's interesting. It would be so interesting to hear. I'm sure there are books now, like children's books now. That are being written as, you know, the main character being a girl and doing some type of, you know, spy detective work. I wonder what, like, that looks like now for kids. I mean, I think generally now kids' books are dealing with, like, much more mature themes. This book is written for more, like, 8 to 12-year-olds. But I feel like most of the time now, books that are written for 8 to 12-year-olds feature characters that are, like, maybe 12 to 14. And books written for kids that are a little older are focused on kids who are, like, 16 to 18. Like, there's always Mm -hmm. this quality of reading about somebody who's a little older, which means that they're probably dealing with things that are a little older. Mm -hmm. And that's only if you're working in, like, realistic fiction. If you think about, like, dystopian fiction, where... Teenagers are literally like saving the world and the Hunger Games is so dark and so gritty. And so in some ways, I guess you could think about Katniss Everdeen isn't nearly as mean as Harriet, but just in terms of like being this independent girl 
I guess you could like place Harriet on that timeline as somebody that like propelled characters like a Katniss now. Totally, totally, totally. Something else that's interesting that I I didn't really read into when I was reading the book, but another piece of information that I read later that is indicative of like how significant this book was is that the author, Louise Fitzhugh, was an openly gay woman, which in the 60s was not a common thing. Right. And there's a huge portion of the gay community that really aligns themselves with this book because, well, there's a few reasons. So the first is that, like you said, until this point, like most female characters were portrayed wearing like dresses and pearls and obviously like Harriet doesn't she wears a sweatshirt she wears converse which a lot of kids at that time didn't so Mm -hmm. I was reading a bunch of interviews with people who are gay who said that they like really identified with her just kind of like doing her own thing and feeling like an outsider Mm. even with the way she dressed but see I I still feel like (sighs) there's a way to portray a character as an outsider Mm -hmm. but not making them completely mean like yeah (laughs) I totally agree I mean I think she's so resentful and she's so angry I wish that we'd gotten more backstory on that I think right like I guess it's like I didn't understand like where the anger and frustration would be coming from Mm -hmm. because there are several times during the book where she's literally just screaming and stomping about not getting her way for whatever reason it was and it's like at the age that she is that's not acceptable. Like you can't act like that. Like you can't, you're old enough now. Like you cannot act like that. And I understand, like, again, I don't have kids. So when I was a kid, I'm sure I was bratty and, you know, said things that I wish I could take back. And, you know, you obviously, your brain isn't fully developed. So it's like, I, I, I can give a little bit of forgiveness for that, but she's just downright cruel. And it's just, yeah, a lot of times it feels like whenever she's angry or frustrated, like, I don't understand where it's coming from. So I'm just like, girl, like, calm down. Yeah. It'll be okay. <laughs> I think I wondered after I finished this book and after I was, like, thinking, especially about the conversation she had with her mom in the midst of some of the temper tantrums that she was having. And this is something that you can only like, consider, like, with the wisdom of time. And that mm. sounds so – I feel so old saying that. But <laughs> – I was just thinking about some of the scenes where she is throwing like temper tantrums and she's she says things like I don't know how I'm feeling like I'm feeling all of these things at the same time and she's arguing with her mom and and I wonder if there's like an implication that any of this is that this is an 11 year old girl who is having some like hormonal changes mm-hmm. and yeah. um and I, I don't know again I think like you said about some other things these topics were probably really sensitive in the 60s and so right. 10 years later in the time of Judy Bloom it would have been much more appropriate to be like, and, you know, I'm afraid to go through puberty and I'm feeling all these feelings. But in this book, I wonder if if the author is just sort of like hinting at the fact that like Harriet's losing her damn mind because she is about to like go through all of these physical changes. Right. I just felt, I felt like there could have been a little bit more of an explicit. I agree. Nod to that. You know what I mean? Or just yeah. a, a reason as to why. She does get incredibly angry, like, yeah, so quickly. And sometimes about, like, minor things that you're just like, I don't even understand why you're mad about that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. I think, like, you can explain away a lot of these things. 
and make excuses for them because of the time and, and maybe the author not wanting to put too fine of a point on things. But regardless, kids are reading the book as is and it's upsetting that she's so mean. Right. I did really like the way that the author wrote the scenes with her mom and the scenes where she was having these temper tantrums and just Mm -hmm. like not understanding. I felt like all of those interactions were really well done. After Old Golly leaves, Harriet's mom kind of like tries to become more involved and like tries to be more engaged like you were mentioning. And just the way that Harriet reacts is is really funny and and relatable like kind of pleasing her mom and being like okay mom okay and then just trying to get her mom to leave the room so that she could like be alone and cry and and think about all the feelings she was having and there was a page I think where she is just kind of going on and on about like I hate everybody but I don't hate everybody and like I'm mad but I'm not mad and all of those things for whatever reason that they were in there whether it's a subtle nod to puberty or whether Harriet really is just like a basket case. I thought they were really well-written and relatable to any kid that's ever been in that like weird emotional state. Oh yeah. Cause I mean, I can remember back, you know, when I was 12 and you're just like, Oh, I just want my parents to go away. Like I just want to be by myself or I just want to go, like I want to be with my friends or I just want to go to my room or, you know, just leave me alone. Like I, that I understand. And that was very realistic and relatable. And I do feel like, several of some of her frustrations and her kind of going back and forth with her feelings it makes sense because that's how a kid would feel you know you you don't know why you're feeling some things but just some of them were so extreme and maybe it was the way like I was reading the book because when there's something like in all caps I'm literally imagining it like someone screaming shouting like just yelling so loud Hmm. and maybe there's other people that like would read it and wouldn't read it as intense as I do and I not only like interpret it that way in books but like if somebody texts me in all caps like I'm just like you know and I do that sometimes but I do it to like emphasize a point of like oh I'm really excited about something or something like that so for the listeners for context all of the text that's supposed to be in the notebook is in all caps If you don't have the book in front of you or haven't seen it in a long time. So a huge portion of this book is written in this like block lettering that's all caps. Yeah. So I just interpret it as like yelling Mm -hmm. (laughs) and just like saying it really loudly. But maybe I'm not supposed to do that. I don't know. She's an angry kid in, I don't know, you know, where, how angry she is, where it comes from. But she definitely is an angry kid, and I think that it would have been a lot easier to understand her and to, like, continue to make excuses for it if there had been a little bit more backstory, if we knew more about her parents. Like, if the problem really is that she feels like her parents ignore her, then I wish that we'd known that a little bit more clearly. Because in some ways, it seemed like she was happy. She seemed happy with her life with old golly, and, and that was just sort of what she knew. So it was just hard to know how much of those things we were supposed to credit with her behavior because you also don't want to put too much blame on parents you know you don't want to oh for sure and you don't want to believe that there's this underlying message sort of like of the morality of like absent parents like that was one of my things too I mean I grew up with a working mom and so I really didn't want to believe that there was some like underlying message like all of this happened because Harriet's mom wasn't around but this is the 60s so maybe that did influence it a little bit. I'm not sure. Right. And I mean, really her parents didn't make an appearance until old golly left. Like, I mean, they're, they were there like a couple of scenes, but like, it was really about her relationship 
with Olgali. And then when she was at school and or doing her spy activities, you know, her parents weren't really mentioned that much until they came home from the party and fired Olgali and all that kind of stuff happened. Right. They are not really around until things get bad. So I did make I did make a point to make a special list of positives because I, I have a one you have one to mind and this is not something that I'm going to do for every episode but I think that this book was so complicated for me and obviously I have a personal history with the plot of course um, so I wanted to make sure especially knowing that you hated the book I think I wanted to make sure that we had some positives <laughs> I did not say that I did not say I hated well, the book I'll let oh. you I'll let you I'll let you say for sure later in the episode so a few things um we could run through them and I just would love to know your thoughts on them so the first thing is that there's a really cool departure from gender norms in this book so like mm-hmm. sport even though the reason he has to cook and clean is because his dad is a writer and is like too busy to take care of him it's pretty cool that this young boy in the 60s is cooking and cleaning and like doing things that at that time were totally reserved for girls. Janie wants to be a scientist and even though I don't love the way that that was demonstrated with all of the like very violent statements about blowing things up, like it's really cool that that there's this young girl that wants to grow up and work in a lab. Harriet's a badass kid. I think she's mean, but she's like this very independent, do-your-own-thing girl, and and that's mm-hmm. awesome. So I think all of those things point to like a neat divergence from gender norms that a lot of kids were probably reading about to this point. Totally, I agree. And I really feel like all of the the kids, you know, those the three kid, the three main kids, you know, they really made them out to be smart and intelligent mm-hmm. kids too. They're resourceful. They figure yeah. things out. Like, even though there's the spy catcher club and that's, like, not a great thing for Harriet, those kids go and they figure out how to build a clubhouse. Every kid in their own way is smart. Right. Sometimes they don't use as much critical thinking skills as I wish they would have. But, you know, yeah, I totally agree about kind of the switching of, of gender norms. And especially for that time, I feel like that's an important piece to this book and something that makes it stick out. Okay, the second thing is Harriet's sense of self-confidence. And mm, she is, the roof. at one point she actually writes, I love myself. Mm, yep. And I don't think that it's great for young readers to equate that with being as mean as she is, but it is cool to see the main character of any book, particularly a kid's book, and again, a young girl just being like, this is who I am and I'm owning it. And she's very self-aware in some ways. And she just has like a very strong sense of self and I think that's cool yeah no I completely completely agree the whole conversation about lying while I don't condone lying I do think it's like a very mature theme and lesson for a character to come to understand that like sometimes it's okay to tell lies to make other people feel better obviously it wasn't framed correctly in this book but I think there's something to this idea of like if you screw something up or if telling a white lie is going to save a friendship or make someone feel better like that's okay and so mm-hmm. I think it was misdirected but there is something there that could have been good yeah I think it maybe could have I think I would have appreciated it a little bit more if the approach was you don't have to say everything that's on your mind and I guess You know, she wasn't really saying it in a lot of ways because she was writing it, but especially when it gets to whenever she's writing for the school newspaper, you're reading that for mass consumption, consumption at her school. 
And I feel like it could have been more of a nod of like, you can think things, but think before you speak. Do you think, though, that there's some sort of like a good lesson? I mean, obviously, Harriet's plan to write things in a notebook it really ended badly. Harriet's mm-hmm. use of the notebook ended very badly. But I have heard that there are some parents who, in teaching their kids, like, not to say nasty things, not to be judgmental, they explain to them, like, if you need to process these things independently and by yourself, like, you should write them down in a journal. And, like, you should never say them. But it's okay if you need to, like, express them. Just keep it private. And so, obviously, it didn't work out well for Harriet to do that. But I guess, like, the lesson maybe of, like, learning to work through your feelings privately. I don't know. I mean, maybe there's... Yeah, I guess there are some journal entries that, sure, I think that that, that's a a valid way of looking at it. But the ones where it's, like, this person's fat Mm -hmm. and I don't know how a truck would roll over them. Like, yeah. I don't understand, like, I don't understand how that's like your feelings on something and you need to write it out. You know, that's, that wasn't like a, like that person was frustrating her. And so she was writing about her frustration about her relationship with this person. And that's why she's writing it down. Yeah. It's not a valid opinion. It just feels like you're just being cruel. Yeah. Like it's, it's not like, there's not really any purpose to writing that down. I agree with you. I think there was maybe an attempt made to express through this book that like kids at this age are really just figuring the world out and trying Mm -hmm. to understand like what parts of their feelings are fair and what parts of their feelings are right and wrong. I just think it's always dangerous in a kid's book to write content like that without there being some sort of like a reckoning at the end. Agreed. All of this would have been okay and all of it would have made sense to me as sort of this like learning and growing process for Harriet if there had been a more fair punishment that made Well, there's sense. no consequence. There's the no consequence, consequence was she got to be the editor of the newspaper. Like, yeah. And that's what she wanted. Yeah, I think that's the main problem is they really, I would have loved if the first half of the book where she's spending all of this time creepily stalking people in New York, if that had all been cut out, if we kind of jumped like right into the action of the notebook being stolen and then the second half of the book had been about her making right, like this would have been a completely different conversation and I think a much better book, a much better book. And that's how I remembered it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if the movie took that approach. I can't remember. But that's how I remembered it. So that's why I was like, oh, I'm so excited to reread this book. And then as I'm reading, I'm like, oh, oh. Nope. Okay. Still haven't got to the redeeming part yet. And right. Then it ended and there was really no redeeming part. No. The last thing I liked, and there are a few others, but we, we talked about those positives throughout the conversation briefly, was the relationship with Old Golly. I really <laughs> liked their bond. I had a favorite part where, like, just before Old Golly leaves, she's standing at the foot of the stairs, and she doesn't know that Harriet's at the top of the stairs listening. And she starts reciting this poem as, like, a goodbye to the Welshes. And Harriet, like, stands up and starts reciting it with her. And her parents just, like, look up and watch her. And and they recite it together. And I just thought that was really a sweet moment. One of the very few sweet moments in this book. Right. You could tell that she really cherished her relationship with Old Golly and, and vice versa. And... If she didn't have this relationship in the book, I mean, I don't know if I could have even made it through the book because there literally would have been no one that you're like, oh, they're somewhat of a of a, a great character. I really didn't. I don't say I hate the book, but it's okay. Kind of, All it's, opinions. I, I'm, I'm pretty much a downer on this book. It's okay. <laughs> I look. 
I struggled my way through it too. And um, I literally had to like make a point to make a bullet list of good things for us to talk about. So I totally get it. I'm just playing devil's advocate a little yeah. bit, which is no, my no, job. No. So one part that I liked, and this like is not even a fair thing. So okay. I can't <laughs> like wait to hear it. Okay. So Harriet is obsessed and only eats tomato and mayo sandwiches. I'm so glad you said this. This was like one of my favorite details. I thought it was so cute. It's so cute. Like that's what she eats for lunch every single day. And I will say it inspired me to eat that for lunch this week. You're lying. (laughs) I am not lying. I had it for lunch today and I had it for lunch yesterday because it's summertime. You're so in the spirit of the podcast. And and tomatoes are like fresh and like just tasting really good. And I'm sure to some people, like the thought of a tomato and mayo sandwich is like totally disgusting. But you have to have like really good mayo. Like you can't like. Right. You can't mess around with that. Hey, you can do the cheap stuff. But like, yeah, it really got me in the spirit. I really appreciate it. I like that she had this little quirk. Mm -hmm. And she just, you know, going back to, you know, how you really liked how she was independent and a go-getter. And that, like, that was just something that she owned. It was just like, yeah, that's what I eat for lunch every day. That's what I like. That's it. I love that about her. And then like, remember when they stole her tomato sandwich? Oh my gosh, I, I was sad for her at that moment. I was sad for her too. I mean, they stole her tomato sandwich because she was a total asshole to all of them, but I genuinely had this moment of like picturing her being like, why did they take my tomato sandwich? Yes. And I, and my heart broke. Home. Yeah, she had to go home and the cook was like, I packed your sandwich. She's just like, it was stolen. Like, I need another one. It's like, the girl needs her sandwich. Like, right. Give a girl a tomato sandwich. That's all she wants. I I liked that a lot too. So I think that was a very like positive way to end our little discussion about this. I am curious. (laughs) Do you think that as is, there are any morals or lessons in this book that a kid could understand? Hmm. And if not, that's okay. I think it's hard because bullying is a lot more prevalent in schools and with kids these days. It's more visible. Like people talk about it way more for sure. Yeah. And I think there are more ways for kids to bully each other because the internet is a lot bigger of a thing now and social media. And, you know, there's just, there's a lot of different ways that kids can be bullied. I think overall, this book could be more damaging to kids than helpful Hmm. just because say you're a kid and you are being bullied and you read this book. I feel like you could read this book and you could interpret it as, oh, I deserve to be bullied. Every, every kid is bullied. You know, even in this book, everyone's bullied. Like, I deserve this. I shouldn't complain or I shouldn't say anything to my parents. I should keep quiet about it. And then as a kid who maybe is bullying others, you could read the book and interpret it as, oh, I need to keep bullying kids because that's what kids do. And I'll get what I want if I continue to do it. And I'm not saying that every kid isn't going to interpret the book, you know, one of those two ways, but I just feel like it's a very sensitive subject now and it's very delicate. And I'm not saying that we need to coddle and shelter kids from everything bad in the world, but at the same time, like they're kids. I, I, I don't know how this book is going to help a lot of kids through a situation that they're currently going through. And having said that, would you give this to a kid to read? I would not let my future kids read this book. I'm going to rewatch the movie. Okay. And I would, depending on how I feel about that, if I feel the exact same way about the movie, 
then they won't watch the movie. At least until they're, you know, older, it can kind of look at the book and the movie through a different lens. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I, I don't think I'm going to let my kids read or watch. Would you advise like a fellow adult to revisit this? Not as like a serious read, but can you picture yourself being like, this is like interesting as sort of the equivalent of a hate watch or do you feel strongly enough about it where you would be like, you just have to re-Harriet this by again because it's going to blow your mind? You know, that's an interesting question. I don't think I would. Okay. Only because I hope everyone else remembers the book and the movie like how I did before I reread this book. (laughs) I don't want to crash your hopes and dreams, you know? Like, I. You don't want to do to others what I've done to you. Yeah, yes, exactly. Exactly. I had this idea like, oh, Harry the Spy was such a great movie, and she was like this cool spy, and it made me, you know, it made me want to be a spy myself. And I even bought a notebook like hers, like the black and white, Mm -hmm. like composition one. Me too. And I tried to start journaling, but like that lasted like, you know, two seconds. And now I'm just like, I, like, how did I completely miss all of this? Like, I, I just don't know. I think what we really have to do is just thank Bill Hoff for knowing what was Bill up. Bill Hoff, he knew. He knew. He knew. He how knew. did he know who to write? Like, <laughs> it was a different time then, you know, you, like, it wasn't like now there'd be four different email addresses that you could send mail into a black hole for. But back then there probably was like a single Nickelodeon P.O. box somewhere. I know. But like, how did he find it? Because like, he couldn't have like searched it. Like if he like Google wasn't a thing. I don't know. I can find out for you and follow up. Look out for updates, SSR Look- listeners. <laughs> I'm going to have to find now out for you. you can mail Nickelodeon yeah. and give them your thoughts. Let's put Nickelodeon on blast. <laughs> I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to make you say it because it's part of the show. And this is the first week of the show. And so I just need you to do this for me. Did this experience ruin this book for you or make you love it even more? And I'm asking it, Brittany this question with my eyes closed. So I, I know it's coming. I mean, obviously, all of this said, it totally made me love it more. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Clearly, if I haven't made my point clear enough, it made it worse for me. I don't blame you. It's okay. I needed to to get to 30 to be able to handle the disappointment of this book. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's fine. Now I know. Well, I'm glad you're dealing with it appropriately. Yes. So that was quite a discussion about Harriet the Spy. I do think we could have gone on for probably another hour or two. Maybe maybe we'll bring you back some other time. I do want to bring you back to adult times now. And I'd love if you could wrap up the episode with a recommendation of a book that you've read recently that you think our listeners should know about. So I'm a big reader. I love reading fiction, nonfiction. Love it all. If I had to pick one, I read this book last year or either earlier this year. And it was called, um, when breath becomes air. Have you read that book? I haven't read it, but I've heard great things, really great things about it. So it's by Paul Kalanithi. I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. So if I'm butchering it, I apologize. And it's a nonfiction book. And it's basically about this neurosurgeon who he's diagnosed with a terminal cancer. And it's basically about how do you continue living when you know, like when death is coming and you know, what does life mean whenever you're, you know, diagnosed with this terminal illness? 
And he's 36 years old. So he's like very young. Obviously, it was a book with a lot of emotions, sad emotions, um, because you don't want to think about yourself going through something like this. But I really feel like it helped me look at the bigger picture of life and really, you know, think about what's most important to me and how I want to live my life. And as we all know, like someday we all will die. (laughs) Um, This just in on SSR. This just in, I know, breaking news. But it really just, it it really helped me look through different lens of looking at life and, and how to approach it. And even though it was very sad to read, I also felt like it was this weird mix of like motivational and inspirational. But you definitely have to be like in the right headspace to read this type of book because I definitely go through phases where it's like I need something lighter and funnier and not as serious and you know just protect yourself and read it whenever you're ready for a book like that but that's what I would recommend not a great summer read maybe no not a beach read okay not a beach read but it sounds really great I will make sure to include a link to it in the show notes so that listeners can check it out. I'm also going to include a link in the show notes to Brittany's podcast, Day in the Life, which is awesome. I have to plug it because I love it. I just listened to the latest episode this afternoon. It's always a great part of my week to listen in. And when this episode comes out, the day that this one comes out, I am re-releasing Allie's interview on my podcast so you can go check it out and find out what a day in the life is like for Allie. You can listen to us have conversations back to back. You can just keep listening to these voices. If that you is a lot of Brittany and Allie and you're welcome world. The world needs more of it. Well, Brittany, thank you so much for joining me on SSR. This was really fun and a great way to kick off the podcast. And uh, I hope to have you back sometime. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you for having me on. It was a pleasure. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hello SSRpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.